You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, it's that time of year where we are trying to organize and prep and plan for the upcoming season. And some of the gear that we use takes batteries. Now, you should go visit your local Interstate Battery store or visit interstatebatteries.com to check out all the different varieties of batteries that they offer. They have truck batteries. They have batteries for your trail cameras. They have batteries for your rangefinder and everything else that is electronic that you use for your hunting equipment. They have batteries for that. Interstatebatteries.com. Awesome company. Check them out. Hey guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one podcast resource for all things land. Each week, we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. Uh, how are we going to jump into this one? Let's just Adam head, here head first. Matt's here, and Who else we, we got? have another guest with us, um, who's actually, and it's almost hard to kind of explain. But um, so this past summer, we've kind of done a almost like a co internship. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll call it co internship. Uh, an internship. So we have Kingham Johnson with us. You want to say also, something? Also known sure. as KJ. Yep, KJ. <laughs> uh, sure, I guess you can call me that. A lot of people just call me King or, um, yeah, they'll just call me that. Or King Ham, whichever. I mean, I mean that's how my name's spelled, so a lot yeah. of people just get that confused and everything. Gotcha, King Ham. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Was there any story on that name? Uh, family last name. Oh, okay. Oh. Middle, whole name is Kingham Chelf Johnson. Chelf spelled C-H-E-L-F. Huh. First name, middle name, family last name. One's from one side of the family, the other's from the other side of the family. Yeah, oldest brother oldest brother has all first names. And at least this is the story I, I've been told. He has yeah. all first names. Middle brother has all middle names, and I got stuck with all last names. Wow. Yeah. Well, so yeah. what are your I brothers' names? I don't know how that works then? because all I have is a bunch of first <laughs> names. First names uh-huh. too. Adam <laughs> Brett Keith. It's like the biggest. <laughs> always people, when they ask me my name, I'll say, eh, it's Adam Keith. And they'll say, what's your last name? I said, Keith, like the first name. And they're like, oh, you got two first names. I'm like, well, you know what? I've got actually three, Brett. Parents thought two would funny. Three had to be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So. Might as well just throw a third one in there <laughs> yeah. for some laughs. Well, I just, I just tell them that. There's such an age difference between me and my older brothers. There's okay. 14, 11 years difference that they didn't think they were going to get to the last names. Right. And then yeah. I came along and they're like, well, crud. We better just continue this. Yeah, we, we just got to pull something up real quick. I guess the bottom of the hat wasn't wasn't too deep Yeah, for them to, for them to scratch, scratch names out with or whatever. You know what? Huh. Hey, it's unique. It's a story. Yeah. You can start with that. And yep. and as soon as I tell, like, people really struggle with it. And as soon as I tell them, it just King Ham. That's it. They get it. They get it just like that. And they're just like, okay, right. I know how to spell it. I can remember that. 
King Ham. Mm-hmm. Well, we have King Ham Johnson with us today, <laughs> and uh, we've kind of been doing an internship. You know, you came to us in the spring. We're curious if we had anything currently, you know, with Matt and I's schedule. It was all over the place. I'm like, Which I is basically think, what schedule? I don't think you're going to enjoy <laughs> the schedule that Matt and I have. Um, it changes about every hour. And we've working with uh, Brian Tao, who's contracting side of side of the world, has uh his business where he is really working on actually doing the work and a lot of the work that we prescribe he does and mm-hmm. and so uh we've done that you ask we made the connection and you've been working with brian Tao mm-hmm. and uh doing a lot of stuff this summer um, a lot of neat projects and so there's been a lot of really cool stuff i'm sure you've done i know we've we've talked with you guys on some of the stuff you've got going on so we'll touch on that um, we'll also touch on your program, your background, where you came from, because it is an interesting yeah. story. Yeah. And then uh, I think that's about it. Well, then we'll get back to, yeah. or we'll get to the farm and I think, start yanking, yanking and pulling and hanging stands and yeah. edge feathering and all that fun stuff. <laughs> By the way, King, and that map right above Matt's head uh, is the is the properties that we're sitting okay. on. So, um, and I want to say, you know, to someone who's out there, you know, wondering about. Um, programs like school programs education careers experience this and that this is gonna be a great podcast for you we get that question um directed to adam and i a lot of like hey how'd you guys kind of get started how'd you guys do this like what what's your career path or or education path this is gonna be a a, kind of a a good podcast i think for people to uh understand different avenues to be able to work outdoors for a living so i'm excited to, to jump into it Kingham, do you want to, I guess, talk about kind of your background? Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm born and raised in Kansas uh, from a little, little farm town, Osage City. If you want to find it, you just go south of Topeka about 30, 40, mi- 30, 40 minutes. Okay. You'll find it on the map there. I grew up on a family farm of, well, my parents had 80, and then my grandparents just down the road had um, 160. Um, grew up hunting and fishing both places and and the neighbors and my grandparents on my mom's side they also had another 160 uh mile or two away and we would go hunt and fish over there and do do a lot of fishing and a lot of turkey hunting over there because there's good um they had a three acre pond over there that Mm -hmm. that we'd go and do a lot of crappie fishing in a lot of bass fishing in and everything and there'd be good good deer and turkey over there and we come over to our place our other places then and do a lot of quail hunting there's cool. more quail hunting over there and everything, a lot more squirrels and different things like that. So I grew up uh, hunting and fishing, and in middle school I got into doing doing trapping and everything because I'm out in the barn. Dad had some old old number two long spring traps. Yeah. And I was like, what are these things? And kind of <laughs> figured out, and oh, through high school and everything, a little bit into college I was trapping, but then with uh, college just got too busy with it and it was kind of hard to do cause I didn't have a place to go or a place to really do all of it and everything. And, um, and so I kind of, kind of got out of that kind of dropped that for, for now anyways. But, um, yeah, just grew up Eastern Kansas on the edge of the Flint Hills. Um, always, we've always ran cattle. We never had row crops or anything mm-hmm. like that. We call it a family farm, but it's just a small ranch is all. What's the grass all, component out there? Natives. Um, so I like, on on our properties there's we have a lot of on my parents place is mostly smooth brome so that's another cool season grass and in our part in our part of the area and everything brome is what we tend to have 
not so much fescue. That tends to be a lot more of the southeast side of the state. Yeah. Um, get more north, north and west, and you start seeing a lot more brome. Um, so we have brome, and then the back, oh, I want to say it's about probably 10, 12 acres of the property is then prairie hay. And we have that fenced off, and we actually bale that and everything. And again, over on my grandparents' place, we have probably... I don't know, I think we have like 30 acres total that we have like fenced off for hay and a bulk of that 20 acres probably is all brome again. And there's a little bit of an alfalfa mixture in there because we did have an alfalfa patch, but then mm. had a uh, real late frost come through and kill most of it. Mm. And we've had several of those kind of come through and kill it and everything. Um, so we don't have too much alfalfa. And then there's another, then there's another patch in there that is all prairie hay. But the pasture over there, a bulk of the pasture over there of the property of the 160 acres is just native prairie. <clears throat> it is beautiful native prairie and everything. Um, how much how much burning do you guys do? Well, we we used to burn every other year, but my dad is is up there in age. He's going 64, 65. Um, he he worked in a factory all of his life. Uh, worked for Hallmark Cards and. Huh. Uh, just age is catching up to him so he hasn't been able to burn the last few years and everything um so that's been that's been kind of set back and everything and i i spent a couple couple weeks of my winter break uh in college i would go out and cut cedars out out of the prairie hay because they started to move in from not burning and everything sure. yeah try to do that when it was cold not not when it was hot and everything i could stand <laughs> i can stand the cold a little bit more than i can the heat but oh yeah I mean, even even in the heat, I was still we were still throwing square bales on the wagon and everything, mm-hmm. um, as early as like, as soon as we could, anyways. But very cool cattle farm. Well, as you can see, staring at the map, this farm's cattle farm, but with a lot more timber than you probably have over there where you're at, maybe. Yeah. Um, the the Texas shaped farm is the one that that's that's the farm we're sitting on right now. So a little bit of background, you guys. We're down here today. Um, kind of trying to knock out some work before uh, before season gets here, before we know it. <clears throat> Gosh, Excuse it's me, just and around the corner. Yeah, it is, and we've had some really good deer showing up on camera. So we're trying to tweak some cameras. I I don't ever remember a fall this good. So or a, a summer a, a summer so good as far as um, some of the deer showing up on camera. Like, it, like this morning, I, I know whenever you woke up and checked your phone, you probably had the same expression on your face as I did mine when looking. It's like, am I seeing that right? Like, is that real? Are those tines? Yeah. I was like, wow. You know, sometimes deer, you, especially five years ago with trail cameras, the trigger speed wasn't perfect mm-hmm. or wasn't great. And so, like, you'd have that kind of smear, and you'd be like, is that really antlers all the way up there? Yep. They, they kind of, like, he was dropping his head. Mm-hmm. It looks like that, and it's no smear. It's like his tines are really that long, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but he's far back, and it's kind of the infrared doesn't quite get him. Yeah, and you're and like, he's, he's at that like verge of like, okay, you see his body good, but the rest is like, uh, I need to see that dude. dude so in we're person. tweaking some cameras today, um, but we want to definitely talk on this podcast. A majority of your college background you come from Mm k-state in manhattan and they have a very interesting uh, program there that's unique it's one of those few places in the country and i don't think a lot of people are aware of what 
uh, is going on at K-State. And we've met various uh, people from that program in past years. Um, and and so it's definitely something I think uh, if, if you're a college, if you're, let's say, you're in the first couple of years of your college program, you listen to our podcast, or you're in high school, or you're, you've got a son or a daughter that's interested in this and they're trying to figure out where to go, I want you to explain kind of what's going on at K-State um, because it, I think it's something that a lot of people would be perking up and, and hearing about and want to hear about, I guess. So, yeah, talk a little bit about the name of that program what all that entails. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I am majoring in wildlife and outdoor enterprise management at Kansas State University. It's a really long name. We tend to just shorten it down to just the letters, so WOEM, W-O-O-E-M. Uh, all in all, it, it's just about the outdoors. Like, they, like, the whole goal is to try and get more people into the outdoors, whether that be hunting, fishing, um, guiding of some sort. We, we've had kids go on to work for um, Safari Club International, Um I actually got an email the other day from my program of internships that they're wanting interns f- from our program for Safari nice. International, and they're adding some more shotgun courses um, to get us exposed more to the shooting world and everything like that. Um, try to get us down to to Texas for the big for the big clay shoot down there, big national one. Yeah. Um, but there's all sorts of avenues there. We've had kids go on to work for CZ Arms, CZ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Remington. Cabela's, Best Pro, different things like that. Office jobs, some go on to be guides, um, whether it's hunting, fishing, just outdoor outdoor guides in general. Um, I've known several who go through it and want to do kayaking because hmm, they right. because they can do that as well with it. Like because a lot of times they need a degree to kind of move up or, or it shows better on them and everything. And with this being so outdoor focused, they it, it applies fairly well to them. Um, but. Basically, it, it seems like anything outdoor related, mm-hmm. that program kind of can tailor some some courses towards what your focus is. And for you, yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more of a habitat management focused um, interest that you have mm-hmm. and you're utilizing the program for. Yes, yes. Uh, a bulk of the program is is directed towards hunting and fishing, is towards wildlife and everything. Um, but this is a young program. Um, I've been in three years. It's it's only been around for ten years. Okay, um, if that. I remember hearing about it when I was in high school, and that's been. Well, I'm 24 now, so do the math there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around for it's been around for just a little bit, but it's ever changing. Every year they're adding more classes, and they're trying to, they're really trying to, change it and morph it, evolve it so that way there's more uh, appeal for more people to it yeah, because they know that there's people who want this um, more for than just hunting and stuff. They want more for like rock climbing, different things like that. And so we're yeah. trying to come in and add more classes I see. that get outside of the hunting realm and actually mm-hmm. fill that outdoor. It's not just sure. wildlife and outdoor. Ma- it's not just wildlife enterprise management, but it's wildlife and outdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed the, the habitat classes. Because we we've had a lot of habitat classes um, focusing on just building and making more suitable habitat for various sure. species for quail for turkey for prairie chickens pheasant um, and we do a lot and with that there's class time involved but there's also a lot of hands on lab work that we do um, 
so we'll go out and we'll do prescribed fire. Like that's a big course that he that he wants wow. us all to go through and everything. We work with the Kansas Forest Service, um, which the state office is also based out of Manhattan, Kansas, there around the university. And we'll go out and do a prescribed burn on some of the core ground around Tuttle Creek Lake, which is the local lake that's mm-hmm. right there. We'll go there and we'll do prescribed burn on one area or a couple areas around the lake. And then another section we'll go out with a skid steer. The school, he'll rent out, or one of our advisor instructors will rent out a skid steer with um, a front end saw on it, with a, with a saw yeah, on the front. Yeah. And we'll go and we'll do cedar clearing because there's a lot of cedar encroachment in that area because fire has been removed from the landscape, unfortunately. And so cedars have really encroached. Um, Tell us a little bit about that program. You talk habitat. What is the overall like message at K-State? Uh, like you guys are right in the heart basically of Eastern red cedar encroachment. So <laughs> I'm curious, like the professors, like I just picture myself as a professor and it's like, all right, all right, students, Today, we're going to teach you the most important thing. Again? <laughs> Prescribe fire and managing Easter Red Cedars. Yeah. Um, the big push was diversity. Like, yeah. Like, you don't want a monoculture of things, but you, you don't. And and they pushed the same thing there. Like, cedar is not a good thing. I mean, if if you're going to keep cedars, keep, keep the ones without the berries. Keep the male ones because, I mean, the berries are just going to turn into more trees. But they... They they push not to keep cedars if you can, and are and a lot of places it is cedar, um, it is honey locust and um, hedge trees or osage orange trees um, mm-hmm. as they're known that do a lot of the the takeover a lot of the encroaching and everything, and none of those are really favorable for deer for other habitat they're they're too thorny too thick to get through they don't provide a lot of good cover and everything. Now, locusts will provide some value in the pods because they're mm-hmm. high protein, good value for deer and everything. But um, they're just they're they're just so invasive because they'll just shoot up new sprouts from the roots, from the rhizomes and everything that they have. Yep. And uh, so yeah, we we don't like them. I don't know a single farmer or rancher who does like any of those really. Yeah. The only reason that they like hedge is just because it's hard and dense, and they can make it into a corner post. Yeah. That's right. They can right. they can cut it down, let it dry out, and just ch- put it in the ground and actually have some use out of it. Finally, then. Yeah. Um, or they make long bows or recurves out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, the the focus is yes, there's classroom aspects to all of this, but it's more of a hands-on learning aspect to let's let's get these students out in the field. And apply what we're talking about, um, and we're applying that information to habitat management, mm-hmm. specifically in and around Kansas. But you know, we we know from personal experiences, you know, that class travels though too, and has other um, opportunities to learn just outside of Kansas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the ratio of time in in the classroom versus in the field? Uh, I don't know if I could quite give you ratio. It's usually about two to one. We spend about, well, actually, I say I say that our labs actually tend to go a little bit longer, much um, because our instructors like being outside. Yeah, they don't like being confined <laughs> to indoors and everything. Most of them will they'll every four, like every hour, or so they'll they'll get up and walk around campus because they can't take it being being cooped up more. What's but. the background with a lot of your professors? Um, so like, a lot. I, of them, I, it sounds like a lot of them, based on previous conversations, come from a background of 
actually being in the field mm-hmm. contracting or biologist and now they came to K-State to be a professor mm-hmm. where they've applied a lot unfortunately, of unfortunately and, and I don't know past. about you Matt but some of the people that I had classes under had never really it may have been years and years and years since they've been in the field actually doing a lot of the work. And so a lot of things change. You learn mm-hmm. techniques and practices that are Certainly. that are much more successful than some of the stuff the book from the 80s may have told you. Right. So I'm, I'm curious. It sounds like a lot of your professors have that hands-on mm-hmm. background where they're coming at it from basically a, an approach of, Hey, I'm we. I do this on the weekends, or I do this from side gig. Or two years ago, I had a company that that ran a project just like this. This is how to do it. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, for for my program, there's two main um, main instructors, um, coordinators of it. Um, it's Adam Allers and then Drew Ricketts. Um, Adam, he's our head coordinator for the program. He comes from Illinois. Um, he has, if I remember right, it's a wildlife or animal biology degree. Yeah. And, uh, he used to teach over in Illinois and he's, he's super stoked to be in Kansas because he'll walk into our natural resource class, um, once a semester and teach a class on hunting and everything, like why we need hunting still. And his favorite question to ask is how many hunters are in here? Raise your hand if you're a hunter. And he, and he loves it because it's night and day for what he's used to. Over when he's over in Illinois, he would maybe get five hands to raise. Well, for us mm-hmm. in the classroom, it's it's reverse. You maybe have five cl- five hands that don't go up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my program is also on the ag side of the school. Like it's a big ag school, um, so we do have a lot of hunters like that. But um, but he does a lot of research. He grew up hunting and fishing himself, and he does a lot of research up in Minnesota um, on muskrats, cool. on muskrat colonies. Um, and so, and he, he loves that type of thing. He loves research. He's a big waterfowler. He's a big duck hunter. And so he teaches our waterfowl class, waterfowl ID, and talks through the wetland management stuff side of things because um, that's his heart and passion yeah. um, for the outdoors. And Could- then Drew, he grew up in Kansas, in southeast Kansas, went to school for a little bit, got a bachelor's in biology, and then he started his own contracting wildlife habitat contracting business with his wife if i remember right did that for a few years and really come came to know like learn um what's best and everything from just reading researching for quail deer turkey and everything he helped landowners with that he would do consulting and contracting work a lot like what brian does yeah um but then he just decided it was better for him to go back to school get his master's um and now he is teaching there at K-State, and he's the one who teaches all of our habitat classes because he, he has the know on all those things, the different programs and, and things to look at when, when we're doing those things, when we go out in the field to, to look at those things. Um, and so we're, we're super, cool. yeah, we're super blessed to, to have them as, as, uh, as the guys who are doing, who are doing the leading the direction of our, of our program. What are, what are some of the courses, some of the, your classes, what are like, what titles do they have? Uh, so we have all the basic gen eds, like any other course yeah. does. We have our English and, and different things like that. We have um, we have quite a few business classes. By the time you graduate, you'll come out with a minor in business, um, thankfully, which I think is really good. Um, uh, that's super important. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Math isn't quite my thing, so I struggle through accounting, the different stats classes mm-hmm. like that. Um, but then we get into science class. We have biology, chemistry, um, oh, microorganismic biology, uh, something up the tape, just the 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 hard a little bit harder stuff like that. Um, and then we get to the bulk of the main courses that are like directed towards the program, and we have a waterfowl class, we have a soils class that we have to take. Um, we have habitat management. We have two cl- different classes. We have uh, two different levels of classes for habitat management, um, just because then it gets a little more difficult. We start looking more things in that. Um, we have big game ID. We have a we have a flora and fauna class where we actually are in class and and look at different plants and everything. Then we actually go out and and in the field and try identify. and identify them as a group and everything. That was one of my favorite classes. Yeah, because then I could be out there and like actually identify what like what plant is that why are they eating that and and really associate that then um and there's a lot of other classes in there that that i'm forgetting because it's been over a few years but we've got some shotgun courses we'll go to um a shotgun resort down in southeast kansas called by the name of flint oak and we'll do some shotgun courses down there setting up ranges running through them they'll talk through us um there as well and then at the our freshman year um they have set up like the week before school starts they'll get all the freshmen for the class together and it's a selective program so there's not too many freshmen there's maybe 25 30 freshmen that get in into the program and they'll put them on a bus and there's a class that we pay for and they'll uh bus them all bus us all down to new mexico to the nra whittington center um and down there, we'll explore just the a big reserve type place like that, and kind of how that's run. And it's a good good time. And they use that a lot because we're a smaller program to just get everybody to know everybody quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll go down there and we'll shoot rifles and tour the whole place and just get a big rundown of um, what it takes to operate a place like that, and kind of the ins and outs of that in in a week time frame. Um, and we'll set up our own rifle courses and everything like that. They give us some give us some leeway. They have kind of a section over there that's set off for us to uh, to go and play in uh, and things, and uh, which is a great great experience because they're one of the big promoters of yeah. our program because yeah. they have they have K State all over the place because we've had a lot of students go down there and intern and everything and do a lot of good work and a group of my, my a group of my friends and myself went down there and volunteered. Like it, they don't have a whole lot of staffing down there and we were there for a week and we caught them up by two months hmm. on their stuff because they're, they're so low staff they, sure. that they're, they get really behind everything. We help their shop guys, their maintenance guys and everything get caught up like by two months in just a week hmm. of what usually takes them. Well, it sounds like there's no shortage of opportunities throughout the program to learn the ins and outs of whether it's operating an outdoor business um, or being guides or just learning about habitat in general. I mm-hmm. mean, it sounds like it's very comprehensive. You've enjoyed it. Um, but an internship and getting outside experience is also part of the program, correct? Yes. Yeah. It, that's a, that's a, that's a Re- requirement. Yep. That's a big requirement. It used to be the internship would have to be seven months, but then they, and that was in the early years and they realized that's a big chunk of time. That's really mm-hmm. hard to current for a student to figure in. 
Um, and so they've given us the option now of doing a three-month or 10-week internship all the way up to seven months and beyond if we want to. Gotcha. For differing credits, but it still get, meets our requirements of sure. what, we, what we need to graduate and everything. Um, so with that being said, that's kind of boom, why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you and Brian have been working through and learning since you've been here in, in Missouri? Um, biggest thing is timber. Yeah. Cause I, I come from like, I come from Prairie. We've got timber down, down along the creeks and everything. And it's a lot of walnuts, a lot of ash. Hackberry. Hackberry, yeah. elms, cedars. Mulberry, did you say mulberry? Oh yeah. yeah. Lots yeah. of mulberries. Lots of mulberries. Um, and to come here, it's just a shocker because <laughs> there's oak trees everywhere and, <laughs> And pines, There's, and I was like, pines in the Midwest? What are you talking about? Yeah. Because yeah. um, it's been years since I've been to Missouri. Like, I mean, I was three or four the last time I came over here. And we gotcha. Just for a family trip. So I don't remember anything from them. But just it's it's just a shocker because there's not a timber market over there like there right. is here. Right. I mean, just when my wife and I came over, like, I mean, sawmill after sawmill after sawmill. We Log saw. trucks all over oh, the place. Oh, yeah. Ties and pallets all over the place. And then there's, there's the kind of uh, just seeing that that is a big component of most of the properties around here is timber. Yeah. Like that is a big, big draw for so many of these properties is because they, they, they have timber on them. Um, which, which is one of the big, is the bigger thing to manage, mm-hmm. at, at least in these parts that I'm noticing is, is timber. Yeah. Because that, that goes into the play either short term or long term. Yeah. The short term, you can either harvest it and put that money back into the property, or you can just look at it and say, no, I need, it still needs 10, 15 years and look at it as an investment yeah. that way. Um, and then learning about, um, the different, different terrain aspects or different habitat aspects that, that are crucial here. Like we've been doing a lot of glade work because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a habitat feature that is being lost due to cedar encroachment. Right. And uh, I hate it, but I'm going to go back to cedars and I don't like them anymore. <laughs> like I never liked them to begin with, but. Uh, that was going to be my, there's my a new question. question. <laughs> I guess my question for you, because you've listened to the podcast mm-hmm. and you've heard us go on and on about eastern red cedar encroachment we've talked about kansas oklahoma mm-hmm. but we talk about it really here in the midwest and in timber country and uh, because it's you know everybody knows oklahoma and kansas getting taken over by eastern red cedar yeah but a lot of people don't realize a lot of the wood lots in the midwest are getting taken over by eastern red cedar mm-hmm. and so what for you have you kind of now do you think we're crazy do you think we talk about it too much or are you like man those guys totally talk about eastern red cedar well i I, I, for one, never thought you were crazy because, I mean, I could see it back home. Yeah. Because outside of Manhattan, there oh. is a visible, definite line. I'm sure Very. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You yeah. drive up 177 heading, heading yep. into Manhattan, and you get the Consa Prairie. It's beautiful, gorgeous, and then bam. You hit town. Yep, like, you hit boom. town, and on the, other side of, on the other side of the fence is just cedars. Yeah. Just nothing but cedars. So I didn't never thought you guys were crazy, but, I mean, the cedars here – easy compared to back home because back home they're short they're stubby they're brushing everything and you here, cut you cut your way in to get to the yeah, cedars <laughs> yeah yeah like it, for for me at all like here i'm just like man this is easy i'm like now i'm just like go look forward to going back home like i'm gonna have to cut cedars there too but they're gonna be a lot harder to deal with because because yeah. they're a pain but these ones i mean they grow tall like pine trees because they have to compete 
for the sunlight. They go up, like quick yeah, like everything else. They go they go up and they don't bush out. Yeah, and so it honestly for. From my standpoint, it makes them easier to put on the ground because they got a lot more <laughs> lean to them. I don't have to trim. I don't have to fight my way into them as yeah, much. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, no matter where you where you've been, where you've gone, you've seen them as a problem, mm-hmm. and and as a, a something to certainly address from an ecological habitat standpoint. Um, whether you're in the prairies or you're in a timber dominated area, um, and it's no, it's it's not the same across the entire country, but throughout much of the Midwest. No one else is really talking about it, but it still is an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of this because, I mean, I, I say this just from my life experience of things I've watched, things I've seen and everything, is that um, cedar is taken over in a lot of places, but that's also where people have found deer now. Like That's where right. we see wildlife and everything because that has turned into the main, uh, the main habitat feature is that's cedar. The, that's the only... Uh, structural cover mm-hmm. that you would find outside of grass mm-hmm. and but you're when you're talking flint hills grass a lot of times it's grazed grass yeah if it's decent prairie it's going to get grazed at some point so it's not as tall mm-hmm. uh as it could be uh if it was just recreational property and you planted grass yeah um and, and so you have that component of eastern red cedar and automatically it's like well that's the only structure that's standing year round that's mm-hmm. not getting cows into it well of course that's where the deer go yeah uh and then this not so deep into thought you automatically say oh well that's deer like cedars mm-hmm. you try and to make that comparison because yeah. of just just based on observation yeah yeah, yeah. and it's one of those things like once you once you see that once you're, you kind of start looking for it again and again mm-hmm. and again yeah. And whether where there is a landscape that is full of cedars, you're going to see that again and again and again, because yeah. that that for the deer at that in that place, it's going to be the best habitat in that place, anyways. It's it's interesting to to hear that that perspective of you know someone who who doesn't know timber or hasn't had much experience in, in dealing and managing that, um, still seeing similar issues from yeah. from you know. 400 miles away mm-hmm. yeah. um, because it is, it is that of that concern um, that widespread and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what other kind of projects and, and things are, are you kind of picking up and, and learning or, or maybe or it's closing thoughts. Yeah. We're yeah. Gonna wrap up here. Okay. From, from basically the, this experience here in Missouri and time. Um. And if you need to throw Brian under the bus, that's fine. <laughs> it's just on record. It's fine. Uh, well, I tried to try to avoid that too much. <laughs> buses kind of hurt last I heard. Um, I guess, I guess, I mean, the, one of the big things that I, that I really, uh, really liked and really understood and everything is just, um, the need for connections and, in, mm-hmm. in, in this business and in, in this part, in this, uh, industry and everything, because, because there's a lot of footwork. There's a lot of people you have to talk to to, to in order to meet the land or, landowner's goals. Because mm-hmm. there's NRCS, there's the conservation districts, there's all sorts of different people you 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 need to consult with. You need to talk with and everything about finding out like um, what's going on in the area, what kind of programs are available in the area, um, what kind of habitat features are of, of most importance or species are of, of big importance and everything. Um, to be looking for in that. And so, because there's not a day that Brian doesn't talk to four or five or more people as, as we're driving in the truck. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's if he has service. 
Right. And, yeah. and it's like clockwork. As soon as they know he's not running the chainsaw or he's got service, he's got another phone call because there's somebody else wanting to talk to him or, or wanting to run a project by him. Sure. Because he has that, that connection. Mm-hmm. He has those 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 connections and everything, and I and I think that's really important, and and also just knowing, um, just trying to go that, um, all the way in, um, meeting the landowner's goals, like trying sure. trying to do or do your best to to meet their goals, um, any way possible, because there's project that, that we've looked on everything where sometimes there's a lot of short term goals. That can be met, but in it in in the long term it would be better to kind of push those off for a little bit. Uh and so there's there's times when when you have to kind of put that mind when you have to kind of look at it that way in order to meet the long term goals. Because a lot of these people a lot of landowners are gonna have this land for uh a lot longer than five years. They're gonna yeah. have they're gonna have it long term. This is a family farm, this is a family deal, or it's a hunt club or something like that, where they're gonna be using it a lot more than, than just once or twice. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to you, Kingham. Matt, you got any closings? I'm just going to say thank you for for being a part of this. Uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to um, having you here for the weekend, basically, and kind of showing you more a different side of things uh, from our perspective. Um, thanks for coming on and sharing your experiences with the Outdoor Enterprise Program, what that's done for you. Um I hope that that's going to be encouraging for other people. So I just say, let's get out in the field. That's how we learn. Adam? That's pretty much it. Um, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for (laughs) trusting in us to not send you over to to Brian to drive you around all summer and piddle. Um, (laughs) And, And just talk on the phone. And talk on the phone, yeah. <laughs> There's the- many times I've talked to Brian on the phone, and we're just sitting there talking, 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 and then Kingham chimes in. I'm yeah. like, oh, he's just been sitting there listening this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, thanks again for coming on and 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 doing that, talking about the K-State program. Um, and that's pretty much it. I know we got a lot of work to do, and, and uh, it's hot, but so we're going to be jumping in the creek later today. But uh, overall, just thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. All right. I guess Hopefully, we'll see you. yeah. Uh, guys, check out our uh, – please leave us a review or uh, recommend us on Facebook, uh, Land and Legacy. Also, be checking out the YouTube channel. Um, there's been oh, yeah. s- several videos dropped lately. The Quail Guys got several on there that are really, really awesome videos. Um, and so check those out at Land and Legacy on YouTube. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back here again next week. We'll see you uh, – I guess we'll see you then. See you guys. Yeah.